When historians want to discover something about cultures or societies from days gone by, uh, they often look at art, the art and the industry that that culture has created. And they do this in part because in many ways our art and our industry is a reflection of what our society and the culture in which we live values what our priorities are, what we're all about, what we're pursuing in life. Modern culture, as we've seen, has provided a tr- is providing a treasure trove of information for future historians to explore in the form of movies, radio shows, albums, etc. I-, I-, I can only imagine, I'm reading a book right now called 1493, The Year After Columbus, and it's my one nerd obsession. I love history books that really have no bearing on how I'm living life right now, but tell me a little bit of something about a world in days gone by. And it's, also, it's incredible to me how they'll take a little pot shard, you know, just a little piece of pot, and because it's got a picture of a, a guy chasing a deer with a spear, they're like, this society must have hunted deer with spears. It's like, you went to school for that. You paid some man money to tell you to look at a little broken piece of pot and determine that that society probably had to hunt to eat. Congratulations, you're a fool. But we do this, don't we? Like, this is is how society works. We look back at movies and we, we can, to one extent or another, tell what societies found important and what mattered to them. We can, we can read into how society functioned in one way or another by looking at movies, by looking at the art that our community produces. As we looked at that fine piece of cinematic magic right there, we, we consider the nuances of motherhood as presented by the young Agnes. And she in the most eloquent and energetic and descriptive, emotive way possible, announced that she kisses my boo-boos, she braids my hair, we love you mothers everywhere. She, Agnes doesn't even have a mom, though. She, of course, does, right? I mean, I mean we all, all of us that are born have a physical, biological mother who has given birth to us, but the irony to me about what we see in Despicable Me 2 and in many movies like it is it shows the, the reality that many of our families face. And it's that the nuclear home is no longer an assumed reality. We can't assume that. Families are broken and so we find the, the characteristics of these, these parents other, other places. We have to, right? Agnes has no mother. She, she as, as a matter of fact, until Despicable Me 1, didn't even have a father per se, and then grew in his attempt to, 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 to take over the world or steal something back, had to get these kids to, give, to take these Girl Scout cookies because that is like the one undeniable good in the world. Thin mints are the best thing ever. And so... Gru knows that if he sends these Girl Scouts to buy these cookies, to sell these cookies to his arch nemesis, he can steal back his thing. So he's, he's completely trying to utilize, use these young ladies to get what he wants. And of course he falls in love. He adopts them. They become his children. But here you have Agnes in the second movie. She's lived with Gru for a while. But she's, and she's going into this Mother's Day celebration at school and she quotes this poem. 
She kisses my boo-boos. She braids my hair. We love you mothers everywhere. And even Agnes, in her messed up familial situation, understands some of the nuanced realities of motherhood and what a mother is intended to do. Agnes points to the manifestations of grace and love in the concern and care a mother has for her children. Gru, in some ways, in many ways, has demonstrated these characters to her and for her, and by the end of the movie, a loving woman named Lucy comes into her life to serve in the role as well. Once again, while there are realities of motherhood that are reserved for the act of procreation, our fictional friend Agnes gives us a very succinct description of how mothers function and why they're so important to our lives. And I would argue that you and I, in whatever capacity we find ourselves today, are able to demonstrate some of these characteristics in our lives. And I would go a step further to say that the Lord Jesus commands us to show some of these characteristics with others. The grace and love which is manifest to us through and through us in compassionate care is actually the expectation Jesus has for all of his followers. We think of grace and love. I think of grace and love as being two defining characteristics of motherhood. But they are to be two defining characteristics of Christianhood. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be looking at verses 31 and following. Matthew 25, 31 and following. Jesus is speaking and he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison? And did not help you. And he will reply, I, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Harsh in the flow for Mother's Day. 
excuse me. We, we've got this story here uh, of Jesus, and, and he's, he's coming in the last times, and he's standing. Be, and, and, and I don't know if this is literally how things are going to happen, or if Jesus is being metaf- metaphorical. I'm not here to argue or debate with you about this. What I'm here to talk about is that Jesus lays out some pretty clear expectations, something that is important to Jesus, something that Jesus is life and death serious about, And if that is the case, then you and I need to take note and see what it means for our life. What is it that made Jesus happy here? What is it that pleased Jesus? What is it that angered Jesus? Because it's not just that it made Jesus a little upset. Jesus wasn't just miffed. Jesus wasn't just a little perturbed. Jesus was ticked off and he was done. So what is it that pleases Christ so much that he says to one group of people, hey, you did a great job, you're going to be rewarded, and to another group of people, you did a terrible job, get out of my face. I would argue that the manifestations that we see here are manifestations of grace and love. It is compassionate concern for our fellow man. It is seeing the realities of people around us, understanding what it is that they're facing and saying, you know what, that bothers me, I can and I should do something about it. Do we do that? As we prepare to to break this passage down, I'd like to go to the Lord with a quick word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this time and for this chance that we have to look into the truth of your word to understand the the truth of life that you have for us, the way that you'd have us to live. God, and as we look at this, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open, that we would hear you, and Lord, that we would follow you, that our lives, that it wouldn't be just a matter of us hearing the truth and moving on, Lord, but that we would hear your truth, Lord, and look for ways to change, ways to improve, ways to become more like you, Jesus Christ. God, speak to us in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at this and I see these characteristics of grace and love, there are a few things that come to my attention that I think that we need to consider this morning in in the context and understanding grace and love. The first thing as we look at what Jesus' expectations are for his disciples, for the sheep as opposed to the goats, the first thing that we see is that what Jesus is asking is not exceptional. It truly is not exceptional. Let me explain what I mean by that. Doing gospel work, living for Jesus, loving other people in our community is not rocket science. It's not this intellectual endeavor that is so far above us that we have to really sit back and think about it and consider what it means before we can go do it. That's, that's the thing that I get as a pastor all the time. And, and, and believe me, I understand because I've been there. But when we talk about, well, I, I really don't know what it means to live for Jesus. I, I really don't know what it means to share the gospel with other people. I really don't, I don't know how to do that. You know, that's, that's good that you do that, but you're a pastor. You went to school for this and you were taught how to do this. Really, I was taught how to give someone a taco. It's really that hard. Or, or to give someone... Let me, let me show you this. This is really not rocket science. Hey, how many children do we have? Mother, It's Mother's Day. And so all, all of you kids, youth, go ahead and, and stand for me right quick. Just stand up. This is. I will call you out. 
All right, I've got some, I got some helpers up here this morning. How many of y'all, like, uh, rushed through breakfast maybe a little bit today? Anybody? Come on, show me some hands. Anyone a little hungry? You're gonna be hungry by the end. How many of you would like a snack this morning while you're going through church? Well, guess what? We need to, we need to feed the hungry, and so I'm gonna show you exactly how easy this is. How many of you might want to drink while you're, he's having to do that? That's right, my brother. We, we, got, we got something for you here this morning. We got a little snack, a little something to eat, and a little something to drink. Hey, Mitchell, come back up here with me a second. Mitchell's like, I'm never coming to church again. <laughs> now bring your snack thing with you. You need the drink, too. Once you get your, your snack and drink, you can sit back down. Thank you, thank you. And you, you can eat that now. That's okay. Now, I, I want to show you this. Can I, can I have it back for just a second? Thank you. It's hard to take it back from you. I, I want to demonstrate how difficult this is. Mitchell, could you use a snack this morning? You a little hungry? A little bit. A little bit. Okay. Well, M- Mitchell, look, I've got some. This is like the quintessential church snack, the official church snack, animal crackers. You know, Noah and the Ark and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a snack for you, Mitchell. You enjoy that. Now, when you're going to eat that, you're probably going to get a little thirsty, right? You're gonna de- those are dry, get stuck in your mouth. You're going to definitely need a drink. So, Mitchell, I want to give you something to drink for that. Now, how, I don't mean to make fun, but literally how difficult was this? Someone tell me, please. It, it wasn't, right? It wasn't hard. I didn't go to school to learn how to do that. They didn't teach me that in seminary. I just knew that. I mean, I might have learned it at Ruby Tuesdays when I was a server, but I didn't have any special training. Thanks, Mitchell. That's not a difficult thing. My, my point is this. We, we make the gospel incredibly difficult. We make showing the love of Jesus. I, I understand the whole allure and the difficulty of, of trying to share your faith with your words. I, I understand that there, there might be some difficulty to that, that you don't understand what to say all the time. We're not talking about that. Notice that nowhere in this passage does Jesus say anything about you opening your mouth and saying anything. Now, granted, that is necessary at some point in time, but what Jesus is concerned about in this moment is not you bringing people to Jesus, but you taking care of people like Jesus. Hear what I said. I'm not saying that that sharing the gospel with your mouth is not important. What I'm saying is that in this context, what Jesus is most concerned about is not you leading people to Jesus, but you loving people like Jesus. There's, a, there's an old phrase that used to be around when, when I was, it's not that old, because I'm not that old, but when I was in high school, they used to say all, that to, all the time, they would say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And research is showing us that, that over and over again, kids in school will not focus on the education if they're sitting there and hungry. That they're going to be concerned more about their physical need before they worry about their educational need. I would argue the same is true spiritually. That, that we can tell people till we're blue in the face that Jesus loves them, but until we love them, they won't care. It has to be a both-and proposition. 
It's not a difficult thing. It is not rocket science. It's not exceptional for us to go and, and, and share with someone, to, to give food to the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to welcome strangers into our home, whether that be our physical homes in which we live and, and having them in for a meal or welcome, welcoming people into this home of First Baptist Church and welcoming them as, as people that belong and matter here. Clothing the unclothed. Caring for the sick. Visiting the imprisoned. I'm clearly being hyperbolic here. I'm going over the top with the example. But the point should be taken. That this is not difficult. None of these things are exceptionally difficult. You know why we think of people loving others and giving to others and caring for others as being exceptional? Because we have made it the exception. It is something that only happens by some people at some times. It's only something that happens by people who have this, this big uh, philanthropic... Philanthrop- yeah, that word where you help people. Um, they have this heart to help people. You know what I'm talking about? Philanthropy. That's the word I'm looking for. But that's not the word I was trying to say. Any- that's one. Philanthropic. That's right. Thank you. Montica for the win. Um, Each of us, but don't miss my point in my terrible English. Every one of us is capable of doing this. Helping others shouldn't, it's not exceptionally difficult. It's not something we need special training for, but it is something that Jesus has called us to. To show his compassion, to show his love, to reach out in love to those in need around us. Is it not the same selfless love we saw in the life and ministry of Jesus? I could spend all day just reading the stories in the gospel of Jesus doing these very things in his own life and ministry. Right? Jesus is on a hillside and on two different occasions. There's 4,000 and 5,000. Just the men at that point in time is what they're counting. So there's thousands of people on these two occasions and they're sitting there and the disciples come up and say what we would say. Hey, Jesus, it's getting late. The people are hungry. You should probably send them to get something to eat. And I love Jesus' response. He's like, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. What? Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a few people here. And all we got is this little bit of fish and this little bit of bread. And Jesus is like, hey, bring it to me. We've got this. Now, that was exceptional. But the point Jesus makes is what you've got is enough. Use what you have the best that you can and let the Lord bless it. The woman at the well, literally a thirsty woman coming to get water, a stranger to Jesus, and Jesus visits her in her loneliness Jesus visits her in her exile as an outcast in her society into Jewish society. Jesus was constantly hugging and touching lepers and sick people and bringing about their ultimate healing. Jesus visited the the demoniac who was imprisoned in a spiritual sense, offering the truth of salvation found in Jesus is a way of offering all of these things, but they are a physical manifestation. Ways for us to show the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Ways for us to show compassionate concern and care for people in the world that God brings our way. Once again, with it not being exceptional, most of our mothers, I understand that there's realities in our society, but most of our mothers did not just love us part-time. They did not just care for us part-time. Oh, 
I've met some of y'all. I know that there probably were times where they thought about it. But even when your mom was not happy with you as you're sitting at the table complaining about what it is that you have to eat, you had food in front of you. Even in times when you were disrespectful and she sent you to your room, you still had a place to live. When you didn't have clothes, even though you might have complained about what she bought you, she got you what you needed. Grace and love is not a part-time venture. It's not something we just do when we feel like it. It's not just something that we do when we feel like others deserve it. It is something that we do all the time because it is what Christ has called us to. We do not serve a part-time Savior. Therefore, we ought not be part-time Christians. This is a lifestyle to be lived on a daily basis, moment by moment as we go through life. The grace and love of Jesus should be seen in our lives daily. It is not to be exceptional. Second thing, it isn't earned. The grace and love of Christ is not earned, therefore our grace and love ought not be expected to be earned from us. Notice who Jesus is talking to in chapter 25 of Matthew. The people of whom Jesus is speaking didn't earn the favor of the sheep. They didn't earn anything. In verse 40, Jesus says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It was for the least of these. This was for people that weren't necessarily going to be able to pay them back. They didn't earn that food. They didn't earn that clothing. They didn't earn... Think about the person in prison. You think that person, they got put in jail, got, sol- got put into a solitary situation? Did they earn getting visited? I would say not. As a matter of fact, we would argue that they earned their sentence. That what they in fact earned was punishment. What they in fact earned was exactly what they were getting. The people of whom Jesus is speaking haven't worked to earn anything. They haven't accomplished some great thing to earn merit or attention or great reward. They're simply in need. They're outsiders. They are suffering. And once again, in some cases, they have earned, they've actually earned their current state of affairs. Yet Jesus responds favorably only to those who reach out to those in need. The favor of Christ rests upon those that chose to reach out to those that were the least and the lost. Those that were in need. Those that were destitute. Those that were hurting, maybe even by their own choices. So what happens with us? How, how is it that we have this situation where we have this, these people? Because notice that what happens in the passage, in, in verse 38, the people are shocked, right? The sheep are like, what are you talking about? When did we see this? I, I, I don't get it. When did we see you, Lord, a stranger, and invite you in? When, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? They, they don't get it. Even the people that did what is right look at it and they say, I, I don't get it. I don't remember... You're going to have to jog my memory, Lord, because I don't really remember doing this for you. 
The same thing is true for the goats, so to speak, the people on Jesus' left. So you get down to verse 44, and they answer the Lord. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? Lord, when, when did this happen? Uh, you're going to have to jog. I, I'm not getting it. When did this happen? Jesus says, whenever you saw one of the least of these and didn't do for them, you didn't do it for me. What does that mean for us? I think it means one of two things happens or is true of us when we don't help those around us. Maybe there are more things we could do, but these are the two things that jump into my mind as the reason maybe sometimes I don't help people that are around me that, that need help. So I'm pointing my finger at me. Understand this. I'm not throwing stones. I'm talking about in my own life. One, we're either ignorant, we're, we're possibly ignorant of what's going on around us. We simply don't see the need around us. We're too busy living our own life and getting on with our own thing, our own busyness, our own needs, our own realities. And we're so busy chasing after the carrot that is in front of us and living out the reality of our own lives that we don't see those in need around us. We're just too busy to help those that are in need. In the context of this passage, they're too busy to even see it. Just don't even recognize that it's there. So one, we maybe just don't help because we're ignorant of it. But I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, more often, the problem is not ignorance, but arrogance. The reason that we don't show love and compassion, love and grace, grace and love to those that we see in need is because of our own arrogance we think it's beneath us. Or worse yet, they are beneath us. In either case, whatever your reason, whatever may be going on in your life, the love of Jesus is not displayed. Grace, by definition, is not earned. Grace, by definition, is not earned. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. The grace of Jesus for you and I. We, we clearly understand that. That it is unwarranted, it is unmerited, that there is nothing that we have done to deserve it or to bring it upon ourselves. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us over and over and over again that the things that we have done have brought about the wrath of God in our lives. And that that is what we deserve. His judgment but instead, He freely gives us His grace and His mercy and His love. You know, in, in my life, as I've gone through living, I, I have on several different occasions had mobile visits from our friendly neighborhood policemen. As I was driving down the road, and, and I will tell you this, on every occasion, those visits from our friendly neighborhood policemen were merited. I earned them. Driving down the interstate, going a little bit faster than ye old posted speed limit. Maybe rolling through that stop sign because no one's there. Being too lazy to take care of the taillight that you broke when you backed into the basketball pole. Whatever the case might be, 
I've had several occasions where I earned a visit from my friendly neighborhood policeman. And there have been occasions when said neighborhood policeman was less than happy to be visiting with me at that time of day. And they provided me summarily with the rewards that I had earned with my actions. For those of you that are not following, they gave me a ticket. And it was salty. It was expensive. It was not very gracious. It was earned, though. I deserved it. On some other occasions, though, God bless the men and women of our, our, of our, our law enforcement Sometimes I got pulled over by neighborhood policemen that were really, really friendly. And they, they actually were somewhat happy to see me. Hey, young man, do you, do you know how fast you were going? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> do you realize that, that maybe you were speeding a little bit? I'm pretty sure. Well, you know what? Since you were honest with me, I'm going to go ahead and just give you a warning. That is unmerited favor. Right there. I earned that ticket. I deserved that ticket. And the fact that he stood there and looked at me and and had compassion for me, that warning that he gave me is unmerited favor. It is grace that I did not deserve. What I deserved was the ticket. But what I got was grace. In the economy of God's kingdom, grace is to abound. It is to be the thing that defines our interactions with one another. We have been shown grace that we might, in fact, show grace. Grace has been provided to us beyond measure through Jesus Christ and is meant to pass through us to the world at large. Grace is not earned. But love and grace is expected, point three. It's not exceptional. It isn't earned. But it is expected. Expectation is seen in the outcome, is it not? As we look at how Jesus is dealing with with these, these sheep and these goats, Christ expected, the Lord expected these people to respond in a certain way. He expected them to do a certain thing. Those who did were rewarded. Those who did not are punished. Punishment is not accidental. It is earned. It was the expectation that these people would be doing these things. And the fact that they did not was problematic for the Lord. You and I are to do what we see in the works and life of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we're just supposed to see and be entertained by it and say, that is so great. I love those stories of the gospel. That is great. I'm so encouraged when I hear of all that Jesus did. That is great. I serve such a powerful God and I, I'm, so, I'm so privileged to be one of His children. It's not about you. It's about us understanding who Jesus is so we could do what He did. In John 13... John 13, 15 through 17, we see the example of Jesus. It says this, John 13, 15 to 17. Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now what I, your Lord and teacher, have done for you, you should do for one another. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things. Now you, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus tells his followers the expectation is that you do exactly what it is that you've seen me do. The grace and love, the servanthood that you've seen in my actions, the meeting of your needs that you have seen from me. Your Lord, I am in fact above you as your teacher. And as I have stooped down to serve you, I expect the same thing from you. The same grace and favor and love that I have shown you, you should show to one another. Matthew 16 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if a man gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? We're to do what we have seen Jesus do, to give our lives for others. He says in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with all His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's expected that we are to love like Jesus, because love and grace have a pretty simple pattern. First, we see the need. In verse 37 and 44, there's a very telling line in these two verses when the, the, the people say on each side, when did we see you? If all we see is needs, we will easily become overwhelmed and under-motivated. The needs and struggles of our world and community are indeed overwhelmingly massive. And in our highly individualized society and culture, our natural thought is, it's not my problem. It's so much easier to just dust our hands off and move on with our life as if we didn't see anything. What we need to see is actually not the need or problem at all, but the person who has the need. In the context of the passage, what Jesus expected his followers to see in these people with needs was actually the face of the Lord himself. The natural response to these needs should be to fill the need. We need to see the need. We need to meet the need. The congratulation or condemnation are contingent upon how we respond to the needs that we see. Note that Jesus is not indicating that our salvation is dependent upon whether or not we do good for others. Rather, he is noting that what we do is an indicator of the truth that we have or have not believed. That the way that we treat others is in fact an indicator of what we believe about Jesus. The natural response for the Christian to seeing the state of the world around them should be a desire and an effort to meet those needs. In the end, you and I need to love like Jesus. Jesus came to serve and give. Jesus commands us to love as he loved. In 1 John, we're told to live in Jesus is to live like Jesus. The grace and love of Jesus should be a hallmark and characteristic of our lives. Not just for mothers, not just on Mother's Day, not just for the exceptional, but for all. The grace, of Christ, the grace and love of Christ should flow through us and be the defining feature of how we interact with the community around us. May this be true of you and I as we go from this place. Father God, we love you and thank you so much for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your model and example to us through Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we pray that as we move on from this service this morning, that you would draw us forward in relationship with you, that you would help us to show your love and grace just as you've shown it for us. In Jesus' name.